that God has a plan not just to do a do-over, a, a makeover. You know, I, I've, I've appreciated that show when it first came out, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Remember that? There's someone who was in desperate need of help, and um, what this team would do would go in and basically destroy the house and build them a new one in uh, seven days. It was amazing what they would do. What God wants to do for us is to give us not just a redo, not just even a makeover, an extreme makeover. He wants to make us new, brand new. That's something that the, the prophets really dealt with. They began to understand that one of the reasons why they were in the predicament they found themselves in, either oppressed by foreign powers, threatened by foreign powers, or actually even conquered by foreign powers, was because that they had failed miserably in keeping what God's plan for them was. We remember what that plan was, right? The Ten Commandments. Primarily being, don't know other gods but me. And don't worship anything that you make to look like a god or to make me into a god. Worship me alone. Jeremiah said what we needed was a, for God to place his spirit within us. Isaiah said, like we talked about last week, God just needs to make all things new. And I love what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel has been spending the first 35 chapters saying, wow, you guys have blown it. You've blown it big time. The reason you're in the situation you're in is your own choice. God had no choice but to allow the consequences of your actions to be played out the way they have. You've chosen this by your failure to follow God. So in chapter 36, beginning around 18, he begins to say, remind them that I really almost got sick because of what you were doing. I chose you. You were my people. And, but yet when you were doing your own thing, when you did your own way, when you chose your own path, you completely disregarded me. But that's not the end of the story. Although I allowed others to come and conquer you and they took you around to other nations, took you away from the land that I gave you, that's not the end. And then verse, chapter 36, verse 22, we read these words. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name which you brought shame among, among the nations. And I will reveal my holiness through you. I love that. I will reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth 
will be washed away, and you'll no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit within you so that you will follow my decrees and obey and be careful to obey my regulations. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. I wish I'd have been on the mountain. This was the second go-around. You remember the first time uh, Moses went up on the mountain and was given the Ten Commandments, and he came down to find the Israelites doing what? Remember that? Worshiping a golden calf. And Moses had just gotten two stone tablets, and on that tablet there was written, number one, what? No other gods before me, and number two, what? No golden calves. Have you ever just told your kids something? Just explained it to them. Or beginning to think about it, and you see the very thing that you've been, tr- been working on or trying to, it, it's there right in front of you. And I have to admit that, you know, before I had kids, I, I said, Moses just needs to watch his temper. Now I understand Moses a whole lot better. Because he goes down the mountain, and the very thing that he's going to confront them with, they're doing. So he gets angry and smashes the, the thing, the, the tablets, and then he goes back up on the mountain, God does it again. Actually, this time he, he makes Moses get out the stone tablets, and he writes on it. And uh, he's coming back down the mountain, but something happened at the mountain that time. God, he was so in God's presence that God's glory just overwhelmed him. And they said when he came down from the mountain, he was just glowing, literally glowing. He had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't look at him because he had met the holy God. And people looked back at that day and said, wow, that was an amazing day when God gave us his law. Remember how amazing it was that Moses and, uh, was, was glorified in front of us. That was an awesome day, the day that we found out who we were supposed to be as a people. We found out the plan, and that plan was the Ten Commandments. God said, you don't know how to be a people that are free. You've been slaves for 400 years. You do not know how to be a people that are free. And number one, another thing, you don't know how to be my people. I'm going to show you how to be free people that are my people. Follow these. Follow these boundaries. Follow these guides. Follow these ways that will help you live out your life in a healthy, prosperous way in this land. And by doing this, you'll show the whole world who I am, that I'm a loving God, that I'm a God who who redeems. You'll be my prized possession. Well, it didn't take long, did it? They get over into the, the new land And very shortly they begin to get side gods, to worship the other gods, to murder, to steal, to covet, to 
commit adultery, to forget the Sabbath. It seems like everything that God said don't do, they found pleasure in doing. They felt like they needed to do it. They couldn't stop doing this. They were only human though, right? They were only human. I mean, God cannot expect us to live up to a code of conduct like that. He made us who we are. How can we he expect us to be holy like that? I'm not holy, I'm human. Well, God, through the prophets, began to warn the people and said, listen up. God's not taking this very well. He chose you. He created you. The land that you walk on is yours. The king that is on the throne is one that God placed there. Uh, Everything you have is from him, and you're completely forsaking him. You're completely cheating on him with other gods. And there's going to come a point where he's going to be tired of it. And eventually, that's what happened. God allowed the foreign powers of Assyria and then Babylon to come in and completely destroy his people. The land that they'd been given, the land that God had given them, was now taken away. Remember when you were in elementary school and um, the whole class had to stay at Miss Recess? That didn't happen to you. It was just my class. Because it was never my fault, right? It was always always Jay's fault next to me. It was always his fault that we... No, the teacher would would warn us. He would say, uh, you guys are going to miss... If you keep acting this way, you're going to miss recess. I'm warning you, if you keep acting this way, you're going to miss recess. I'm telling you, if you keep doing the exactly same thing you're doing right now, you are going to miss recess. Okay, that's it. You've missed recess. (gasps) Come on, that's not fair. You never let us do anything. You're so mean. Never happens, Lovey, does it? Never. Uh, When we were in fourth grade, we were warned. Said, if you continue to do this, then this is what's going to happen. And God said, if you continue to do this, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happened. And the prophets began to, to plead with God, and God began to talk to them, and they began to understand that there was a problem there, a fundamental problem that these people just could not keep the law. It was impossible for them to do it. How many of you have a watch on? Anybody got a watch? I read a study the other day that said pocket, uh, wristwatches, uh, the, the sales of them have plummeted because um, yeah, Caroline is, is shaking her head at me because what you do? How, how do you know what time it is? It's on my phone. You've got to get that out and you have to look at it and push a button. Uh, I'm a wristwatch guy. Uh, this one I've had since... Uh, October 1991. I love it. It's a Seiko. I got it for my, uh, my graduation from high school. My grandmother gave me money, and uh, I searched and searched and held on it from, from June to October before I found out what I wanted, and it's been with me almost every day since that day. My grandma is, is gone to be with Jesus now, but uh, I have this, and when I tell her what time it is, I think about her. 
Uh, it's a Seiko. Uh, we, Seiko for us is a, is a popular company. It's a it's billion-dollar business. Uh, there's watches everywhere. You can buy an $850 Seiko if you'd like to. You can buy a $59 one as well. But one thing that they all have inside of them is, a, is quartz technology. Up until around the early 60s, quartz was just a rock. But some Swiss engineers, and by, by the way, at 1965, every, uh, the Swiss people had 65% of the market share, I mean 85% of the market share of watches. Almost nine out of every ten watches that were bought in the world were made in Switzerland. They knew how to do it. They knew how to to make those tiny little gears and springs and wind it up in a certain way. And they, they had it down to a, a literal science, but they had art to it. But some of their engineers were playing around, and they realized, hey, you know what? If you take this rock, quartz, and you slice it really, really thin um, and put electric current through it, it'll vibrate just like the pendulum or the spring keeps tension on our watches, and I think that we can put enough current to get it to go in, to move 36,725 times a second. We can do that, and if we do that, we can keep a watch perfectly in time. They went to the, the, their bosses and said, wow, that's really cool. Why have you been wasting our time? That's not what we do. We make gears and springs and twisties. That keep them all going. Little twisty things, you know. It was the last time you had to wind a watch. Uh, but there was a problem with the old, old, there was a flaw in the old system. What was that? You had to stop and wind it. If you didn't keep on top of it, it would lose time. You had to constantly wind that sucker. We had an old gear clock in our, our house. One of those that donged every 15 minutes. I was so thankful when that thing would run out. The spring would unwind. Finally, I could go to sleep. Uh, but that was the fundamental flaw in these, that it, it didn't work completely. It was good. It kept time. But it didn't work all the way. But these scientists figured, you know, if we put a battery in a watch, hook that up to the piece of quartz, that'll take care of all those springs and gears. Their bosses said, no, forget it. Well, they went to the 1965 watch, International Watch Show, or whatever they call it. I can't remember what the name of it was. Uh, and there was this, the engineer said, well, we're going to show off our new technology, but they didn't patent it. They didn't patent it. They were just thought uh, this was new cool stuff. And a little unknown Japanese company called Seiko saw the table, asked a few questions, went home, and within 10 years, the Swiss watchmaking industry only had a 20% market share. They found a system that worked. They changed the paradigm completely. They went from gears and springs to quartz movement. And it revolutionized timekeeping. It revolutionized industry. 
because of the precision that's now available. GPS, you know, the thing that, that hopefully doesn't get you lost? It's all based in that little invention. The system was flawed for Israel. There was a sacrificial system, a forgiveness system that they would, they would go and they would say, you know, sprinkle blood on a lamb and send it out. They would offer sacrifices. They would kill animals and say, we're sorry, we're sorry. And God would say, you're forgiven. And what would happen? They would go back out and they knew, the, the, they knew what they were supposed to be doing, but it seems like they just couldn't keep it. So they would go back out and do the same thing. And then they would have to come back in and say, we're sorry, here's the sacrifice. And they would go out and year after year after year, they would go and do what they wanted to out. And they'd come in and say, we're sorry. And God would once again forgive them. But the system was flawed. Because although it offered forgiveness, it didn't offer change. And Ezekiel, through God, said, I've got got a better plan. He says, I'm going to bring you back home, and then I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I'm going to give you a bath, and I'm going to cleanse you. <clears throat> You've dirtied yourselves by playing with other idols. You've sullied my reputation because of how filthy you are. People now have a bad understanding of who I am because of who you are and what you've done and how you've lived. That's wrong. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to clean you. I'm going to give you a bath like you've never had, and your, I love that, your filth will be washed away. And because you're clean, when you're clean now, you won't have to worship idols anymore. You're clean from that. You're forgiven. But I'm not just going to stop with that. I'm going to go a step further. You see, I understand that you're flawed at the very core of your being. So I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. The heart was the very seat of who a person was. Your heart was not just your, your emotions, but it was your will, it was your intellect, it was every voluntary action that you had, every choice that you made was through your heart. Ezekiel said that God is going to promise to put a new heart in us and put a brand new spirit within us so that we're going to be a brand new people from the inside out. He said, I understand you can't keep it. You can't do what I want you to do as you are right now. It's impossible. It can't happen. But I'm going to make it happen. I love this imagery. I will take out your stony stubborn heart and give you a heart of flesh or a tender, responsive heart. He said, your sin has created a stone heart that's unfeeling, unmoving. What I need to do is go inside, take that heart out, and give you a brand new one. One that is fundamentally different because this one will be tender, responsive, and will be able to be 
to, to sense what, where I'm leading you. It's not going to stop there, though. He's going to put his very spirit within them so that they'll be able to follow the decrees and regulations. We, we go past that because we know Pentecost. We understand the New Testament. But for these people to hear that God was going to put his very spirit within them all so that they could obey him, that was revolutionary. God's Holy Spirit was reserved for people like David, Samson. That wasn't something that everybody could experience. God reserved that for just a few chosen people. But here he is saying, I'm going to make you, I'm going to clean you, I'm going to change hearts, and then I'm going to put my very spirit within you to allow you to actually live out this plan that I have for you. I'm going to change you from the inside out. He wasn't just going to forgive them. He wasn't just going to clean them on the outside. He's going to change them from the inside. Well, Paul reminds us many centuries later that that's happened. The opportunity of what Ezekiel promises come to pass. Jesus created a new way. He changed the paradigm. The way to get to God was no longer through following the ten rules The way to get to God was accepting Christ as your Savior, believing on Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to come inside you, and then through that process, you could fulfill the Ten Commandments. You could live those out because of the change that's inside you. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he deals with that a whole lot. But I love what he says this in in chapter 3, verse 6. He says, this is as a covenant not written on laws, on the Ten Commandments, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But, the new, the, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. He's saying that this is a brand new paradigm. The old paradigm just didn't work. It just led you to, to more sin, more ultimately to death. But through Jesus, there is a way that you can have a brand new heart that leads to life. A brand new spirit within you that leads to life. Remember what he says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. I guess the question I have for us is, Are we comfortable with just being forgiven? You know, I've heard it before. Are you you comfortable just getting your fire insurance? You know, I've been forgiven. I'm good. But there's been no fundamental change in you. Because all you want is forgiveness. You don't want God to have all of you. What God wants to do is completely change you. To take out your stony, stubborn heart that is bent on doing your own thing. 
to take out your spirit, which is so contrary to what he wants, and to put God's spirit within you, to change you from the inside out so that you can live out this plan he has for you. And this plan isn't just so that you could be holy to say, look at me, look how holy I am. It's been 36 days since I sinned last. No. God hasn't made us holy or doesn't want to make us holy. He doesn't want to give us a heart transplant just so he can put us upon a shelf and say, look at these holy people. They are so pretty. They're clean. They're not dirty anymore. Look, I've washed them. That's not his purpose. He said, I want to make you holy so the people can show, see my holiness. The world around you can see me through you. You see, I think a lot of times we are like the Israelites. The world looks at us and they don't see any difference. We have the same attitudes. We have the same jealousy. We have the same gossip. We have the same bitterness. We have the same hatred as everybody else. And God says, you are ruining my reputation. Why don't you come in and allow me to give you a heart transplant? Why don't you come in and let me not only clean you, but change you from the inside out? Let me do that. God's not going to force that on you. That's got to be something you surrender to. Because by doing that, you're giving up your rights to you. You're giving up your rights to hold on to your past and dream for the future. Does that mean you can't dream anymore? Oh, no, no. (laughs) God will give you amazing dreams for a future. Dreams that you never could have imagined. But it only happens if we give ourselves completely, completely, completely over to him. If we allow him from the inside out to change us. Paul asked the Romans basically this question. Why do you keep living as if you were the old you when you're not the old you anymore? God has broken those chains. He's given you a a brand new heart. Celebrate that. Embrace it. Use it. Accept it. Thank him for that amazing gift. I want to pray for you today. And this is something that each of you individually need to work on. I'm just going to ask you right where you are just to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. Have you ever asked God to change your heart? Have you prayed that that prayer, Lord, change me from the inside out. Change my stony heart. Put a flesh heart inside me. Put your spirit inside me. Fill me with your spirit. Have you actually prayed that prayer? My prayer is that we each would pray that this morning and that God would do that for each of us. And that from this day forward, that we will be fundamentally different. Let me pray for you. Lord, I am grateful for 
your presence. I'm grateful for your story. And Lord, I realize that not all of it's a good story. Our hearts break as we read how your people turn their backs on you. How they thumb their nose in the, the gift of salvation and redemption that you offer them. But how you continue to, to work out a plan to bring them home. To bring them to eternal life. And ultimately that meant sending your son to create a new way. A new way that this didn't just clean us from the outside, but fundamentally changed us from the inside. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit in me. That you would continue the process of removing my stony heart and placing within me a responsive heart. A heart and a spirit that then is receptive to your plan that is able to live out the expectations you have for us as your people, that is able to show the world around me that there is a different way. Lord, I pray that you would not only do that for me, that that right now that you would do some major heart transplants all over here, this room. that when we get up from this place and go to our girl groups in a moment, that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're different. That our God has done something amazing inside of us. That the prophecy that Ezekiel spoke of so many hundreds of years ago has come to, has been made reality in my heart today. Lord, fulfill that prophecy in each one of us as we give you permission, as we surrender completely. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their willingness to to place themselves in front of your word. And Lord, my prayer today is that your word would not return to you empty. But as we have heard it today, we respond in an amazing, life-changing way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you, talk about this. Talk about it to your, with your families. Talk about it at lunch. Talk about it with Christian brothers and sisters. Talk about what God can do in our lives.